0: What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to an exclusive interview episode in the middle of the season of Creating Madness. I'm here with my co-host, Ethan, and our guest, Jonathan Octius. Ethan, what's happening?
1: Not much. How are you, John and Jonathan? I'm doing pretty good. uh, Doing
2: really well. Doing really well.
1: Well,
0: we have a great interview with a very, very, very interesting interviewee. Not only a great career on the court, but a great career off the court as we'll be talking about this episode. But before we get into our episode, we got to shout out the guys upstairs. Like usual, Unwrapped Sports. Unwrapped has a great page. They have great other interviews within their network, and they have some great socials. But we also have some great socials. Ethan, talk about our socials real, real quickly.
1: All right, just make sure you check out ATR Madness, our Twitter and underscore creating madness on the Instagram. Not gonna go too much detail into that because I want to hop into this interview. Yep, sounds good. Uh, Ethan, you want to kick us off with the first question? All right, yeah. Um, Jonathan, you decided to you started your career at a JUCO in Illinois and then transferring to Colorado State and then Purdue. Uh, What was your entire experience like going through the transfer portal before it became the current from Colorado State to Purdue?
2: Um, from Colorado State to Purdue. Um, well, <clears throat> that was a that was an interesting situation because uh, initially I was committed to UCLA. And um, with the transfer rules, you had to um, essentially transfer to a school that didn't offer the same um, or that didn't offer a program, master's program um, at your school. So um that was the first hurdle that I had to look through when I was um looking for schools to transfer to. Um and uh I ended up choosing UCLA um towards the end of the summer I had um still had to graduate school so I was taking summer classes. Um I got approval from pretty much everybody um and uh we uh somehow um the dean of the program uh just uh Thought it wouldn't be fair to the students. You know, I was going to be missing a lot of class. I was going to be the first uh, active athlete at UCLA to be working on a master's program. Um, so what would ha- what was going to happen was I was going to be missing like 60 percent of my classes um, in a year master's program, which, you know, they felt like it was kind of unfair to the students that would actually be there. Um Although we had put in place, you know, multiple things, you know, tutors, tutors on the road and that type of stuff. So when my recruitment opened back up, um, I you know, made my way to Indiana. Um, Coach uh, Schilling put me in touch with Joey Burton, um, a trainer who was uh, working me out while I tried to figure out what school I was going to go to. Um, I ended up taking an unofficial visit to Purdue. And at the moment I walk into the gym. <laughs> I see, uh, AJ Hammons and big Isaac Haas. (laughs) And when I saw those two guys, I pretty much had it in my mind. I was like, yo, I'm definitely coming here. Um, I saw them practice. I saw how hard they practiced. I saw the culture. Um, and it kind of shocked me that they were, um, picked to be to finish last in the big 10, um, that season. And I think we finished tied for second. Um, that season in the big 10 regular season. So um, yeah, that was, that was a process. It was uh it was an up and down process for me, especially because I showed up so late. I showed up in October, um, but I was just glad that I was able to um, get my, um, my fifth year season in, um, in time or find a school that would allow me to come in and, and play my last year.
0: That's a really cool story. You know, kind of shows you how the NCAA has a priority with student or, had more of a priority as a student athletes, just you know, what was that six years ago?
2: Yeah, yeah, six it's really years ago.
0: Really crazy to see the shift in their priorities as a company now. Seven years ago, actually. NIL movement, actually. yeah, seven years ago. New shift in the NIL movement and all these playwrights movements. But you know, seven years ago, a lot of things can change. And I guess we see the progressions here from 2021 to then. But moving into my first question. You know, you brought up Isaac Haas. You brought up A.J. Hammonds. These are guys who Matt Pantier recruited. He always managed to get some really, really good seven-footers right. Um, and I was just wondering, what was your experience like playing with them? Obviously, you said they worked hard. They were great players. But, you know, what was it like practicing and everything? What was it like playing games with them? Because I understand A.J. Hammonds was really, really good that year. And Isaac Haas turned into a very, very good player. So, just, what was that like as a player?
2: Um, It was – it made it a lot easier for me. Um, I had, I had played with a big man by the name of Colton Iverson, um, at Colorado state, my first year at Colorado state. Um, and, uh, he was a workhorse. Um, so, but the, the following year, um, I played with, um, Jerson Santo, who was more like a four man, um, at the five position. Um, so we didn't do too much posting up with him. Um, but running in Matt Painter's offense um, with all the ball movement, and having those big guys inside, it kind of made it easier for me um, to to get to actually learn how to play the point guard position, especially at a high level playing in the Big Ten with there's so many guards. There's so many good players in the Big Ten in general um, on the day to day practice. Um, we practice hard. We played hard. So, um it wasn't just A.J. and Isaac. It was the whole team. You know, we had the defensive player of the year, Raphael Davis, um, who, you know, I, me and him are, you know, best friends and uh, playing and practicing with him on a day-to-day basis. And having A.J. lead, I think he led the Big Ten that year in blocks. You know, having Isaac come off the bench, it was, just, it was a very fun experience. It made it very easy, easy for the guards, especially having those guys down there.
1: For sure, definitely helps a lot, especially like you said, Purdue's offense. You have the focal point as your big men, and then you have the guards play through them usually. Yep. Um, I'm curious for your pro days right now, you're playing in Japan. What's it like? What's it like playing overseas when you lived in the United States for majority of your life?
2: Um honestly I love the overseas grind. Um I played in the G League for three years um in my second year I got hurt I had a pretty uh pretty rough injury my second year but um going overseas that decision to go overseas for me um which doesn't necessarily bow for everybody um was a was an easy was an easy transition I'm I'm very into uh emerging myself in different cultures and learning about different cultures and experiencing different things like the food, you know, how the how, and I'm just very observant, you know, seeing how the culture responds to certain things and how they do certain things. I played in Germany um, with team USA. I ended up traveling all over the world and saw like 14 countries in one summer um, uh, playing in Japan. This is my second year. It's amazing. Um, the team is great. Um, the experience is great. I'm about 45 minutes outside of Tokyo, and tokyo is becoming probably one of my favorite cities to ever have like, been in um it's just a great experience you know it's it's funny being over here and um seeing how the world is handling things at the moment um and kind of just seeing how this culture you know the japanese culture really cares for each other it's an extremely nice culture everybody's very nice um you know, walking up and down the street you can really tell you know tokyo is probably one of the cleanest big cities that i've ever been to um just because japan does such a good job with their recycling and um how they, you know, how they essentially take care of their their part of the planet so um yeah it's been it's been a great experience all in all well
0: that's a really cool way to look at culture you know you see a lot of people kind of just like well, I like food and I like street performances, so that's that's culture. But it seems like you actually take a genuine interest in all the aspects of culture that I make up, you know, why people travel. So that's actually really cool to see. But, mm-hmm. you know, we've been talking a lot about all these playing experiences, how you play in the G League, how you play in Japan, how you played at Colorado State and Purdue, but we don't really know what you play like as a player. So if you just kind of tell us what your play style is, or maybe was in college, if it's changed, uh, fill us in as fans, and maybe you, me and Ethan. On uh, what you played like, or or play like.
2: Um. So at Colorado State, um, we our our whole our whole me- makeup in general was, should, should I even go to Colorado State first. Let's go to JUCO, um, at um, Wabash Valley in Southern Illinois. Um, my role was to score the basketball. Yeah, I played the point guard position, but my role was to score the basketball. Going into Colorado State as a sophomore. Having six seniors on the team, my role was to come in and play as hard as I possibly could on both ends, defense and offensive end. Um, And wherever we needed me at that point, whether it was to score or whether it was to facilitate, that's where I kind of grew this, like, ability to adapt in multiple situations because every game by game uh, scenario is just different. So um, when, when you ask me, like, what's my, like, greatest attribute, it's really adaptability. Um, I played for a lot of different coaches. Um, I played for, you know, multiple teams throughout my career, um, different teammates, and just being able to adapt and see where the need is for me in particular on whatever team that I play for, um, essentially is how, I, uh, is how I go about, you know, explaining my game and my career, you know, playing my first year in Japan, coming off the bench. My goal, I mean, not my goal, but my role was to come in and, and score try to get as many points as I possibly could. Um, I've always been a very um, good defender. So obviously, you know, really pushing it on the defensive end. Um, But last year, my goal was to primarily score the ball. This year, um, our team's dynamic is a little bit different. And I started off the season pretty slow because I wasn't really sure um, what my role was. Um, But after talking to the coaches a few weeks ago, um, I really picked things up offensively because their their whole mindset is like, yo, we need you to come in and score. <laughs> so when you when you tell the player like, yo, we need you to get some buckets, you know, it, it kinda it kinda gives the player, you know, incentive to really, you know, feel free and have a sense of freedom out there. So that's what I just pretty much do. I run the point, um, but I also play off the ball um defensively, you know, I'm as active as I could possibly be, you know. Um and then uh just my role here is to, you know, score the ball. Same thing in the G League. It was just it just depended on the season. Um uh, I'm a pretty fast guard. Um if I had to compare myself, I would probably compare myself to actually I wouldn't even compare myself. I'll let other people do that.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I was actually gonna ask a follow up question earlier yeah, who's your NBA college player comparison? But, you know, maybe maybe you're a different breed. I don't know. I Yeah,
2: you... I don't really I don't really, I don't really know who or how I would answer that question. Maybe, or maybe,
0: maybe who have you modeled your game after? You know, who is the person you looked up to when you were a kid, or when even in your playing days you kind of took a lot of moves from, or you saw and you emulated their play style, their toughness, tenacity. Who would you say that you took a lot from their game? Then, if you can't find a direct comparison, I guess.
2: Um, I, well, Dwayne Wade was my favorite player growing up. Um uh from the Marquette days and him being drafted to the Heat. I'm a Miami I'm a Miami native, so Miami Heat was my favorite team for a while. Um up until I mean I still consider them one of my favorite teams, uh being a hometown kid. But uh playing in the G League it's kind of hard to have a favorite team, you know, especially with their aspirations to playing in the league. Um so uh anyway, it was definitely somebody that I tried to model my game after, especially defensively and how he would attack the basket with such tenacity. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a skinnier guy, but I play really strong when it comes to, you know, getting into the paint. Um, you know, I'm super athletic. So, you know, into my thirties now, uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would say that I've lost my athleticism yet, which, you know, that's a blessing, blessing there. But, um, I don't know, watching college basketball, John Wall, watching John Wall and seeing how much speed he had on the floor, especially in transition, you know, I kind of tried to, you know, model my game after that as well and just be a threat, and a super threat in a transition game. Um, but there's just so many players I can I can name off, honestly. But, you know, those two guys come to mind first.
0: Sounds pretty good. Quick, athletic, speed guards. I think we got a pretty good idea.
1: Ethan, you got another question? Yeah. Uh, you played for – The Windy City Bulls 2016, I actually believe I went to like one of their opening games. And I'm curious. So in your last year of college in the tournament, you guys sadly lost to Cincinnati. And then on your team a few years later, you had Corianti DeBerry, who was on Cincinnati on your team. Uh, Do you have any did you have any fun interactions with him about that or no?
2: Um, the only fun interaction that I had was, um, there was a play, um, in the tournament where I think, I'm not sure if we were down or I think, no, we might've been up by one or something like that. And I drove in the lane and Coriante we talk about this all the time. He fouled me at the rim. I tried to dunk on him and I got (laughs) fouled. Like, like he, his, there's a picture where his hand is literally on my arm and uh, he swears up and down, like, to this day that he didn't foul me. But I thought that was a game changer because uh, I think they came down court and scored the next possession. We came down court. We didn't score. I mean, it was just a lot of plays that happened within, the, um, within that sequence. But I thought if I would have either gotten that call or if I would have finished that play on Coriante, then I think we would have been able to seal that game um, and put him away. So that's the only really interaction that we talked about. Um, Obviously, I was actually recruited by Cincinnati as well as Purdue. And I took a visit there and I met those guys and I knew those guys, I knew that coaching staff. And um, I decided to go elsewhere. So um, it was kind of hard for me that, you know, we actually lost that game. But, um, yeah, so that was our interaction.
1: Nice. And then a quick follow-up to that. Um, that, when you say Bulls team, is if you look at that roster now, There was there's so much NBA talent or players that have played a few games in the NBA to even starting Uh, in that locker room. Did you guys like or even on the court in practice? Did you ever know that some of those guys would be so special, such as Spencer Dinwiddie, Ian Felicio, Alfonso McKinney played there? So did you guys Um, know any of those players were so special and would end up there in the league one day?
2: Well, Spencer was already in the league. He got drafted, but I played against Spencer. I've known Spencer since Colorado State days cuz we had an in-state rivalry when he played at Colorado. Um so I was already uh hip to Spencer being, you know, a league caliber um player for sure. Um so we kind of we kind of knew or at least yeah, I feel like everybody in the locker room kind of knew that Spence wouldn't be there long. Um so I think he got, I mean, he might have played maybe a quarter of the season before he got his uh before he got his shot again, back at the, back in the league. And then um, also that season we had Will Bynum, who was there, um, who came right after Spencer Dinwiddie, um, who obviously played in the league for multiple years. And then um, Alfonso, you know, with the season that he was hiving, there was no doubt in my mind, you know, that's still one of my best friends to this day. There was no doubt in my mind that he was going to be able to, you know, take a crack at the league. And if he got that opportunity that he would make the most of it. Um, so yeah, there was a, I mean, Felicio was actually on roster with the Bulls. Um, he wasn't – like, I know he played some games down with us, but he was actually on roster with the Bulls. Um, he was actually with the Bulls, I mean, way more than he was with us uh, that season. But, yeah, there was a lot of guys who who potentially had the opportunity, you know, to get into the league and play in the league. Um, but with how things roll, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a luck of the draw. You know, you get an opportunity. You got to make the best of that opportunity. And then, you know, whether you're playing the best basketball you ever played in your life and killing, you know, you may not get that opportunity. So it just it just all depends. So obviously, everybody that's in the G League, that hope to want to get there um, and want to uh, make that jump or have the opportunity to make that jump. You know, I think it's in everybody's minds.
1: For sure. Yep. Um, I guess moving on
0: to another question I have, you know, we talk about March Madness all the time here. We, Our year kind of revolves around that month, that time of the year, that great time of the year. And, you know, we've seen from just doing some background research on your game uh, that your teams have made to March Madness multiple times. And we are wondering, you know, how is it like playing in the tournament, not only with Colorado State, but with Purdue? And did you win any games? How did you play? You know, we know the answers, but we want you to tell the fans what happened.
2: What happened as far as, you know, the the journey itself? Right. Everything. journey, how oh you play it, Oh, how you, oh play yes. Yeah. So I mean my first um, NCAA tournament um opportunity was with Colorado State and we played Missouri in the first round. Um and we were picked to, you know, essentially lose that game against those guys. And we came out there and we had a great um we had a great um a great battle with that team. Uh, I think at the time they had um Phil Pressey. They had uh, all right. I can't go through the roster right now. Damn, that's a really long time ago. Wow. <laughs> um, but they had a really good team, um, and I think I had. I think I ended up being player of the game that game. Uh, this is my sophomore year. I had like sixteen points, or something like that. Sixteen points in my first tournament game, um, and it was a great opportunity for me to play against you know Phil, who was um, you know an NBA caliber guard um, in college. You know, people were saying that. He was going to do a lot of big things. I think he ended up getting drafted by Boston Celtics that year. Um, and then our next game was against Louisville, who ended up winning the national championship that year. And um, I think I had a good game as well. Um, as a team, we struggled with that press. That press was, you know, that press was something serious. You had uh, Peyton Seaville, You had Russ Smith. And you had uh, Gordy back there at the five. And then um, super athletic wings. It was just it was it was really tough. It was something that we hadn't played against at Colorado State yet, um, or that during that season. Um, and you know they went on to win the national championship, so that was also another you know cool experience for me being able to play against you know the national championship team um, that season, um, and which ended up having a multiple um, or ended up having multiple NBA guys um, leave from those teams. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. And then, obviously, playing um, at Purdue, um, losing to Cincinnati, that was a heartbreaker, obviously, because that was my last season, um, especially in a game where I thought we should have won that game um, and had an opportunity to play Kentucky in the next round, um, which would have been good for a lot of us um, as far as, like, the NBA. You know how March Madness, you know, you could turn into an NBA player in one tournament. Um, so, you know, that was – you know, both of those experiences were great experiences.
0: Um I'm sorry about
2: that. I, I just – no, you're fine. I really enjoyed right. myself um, in both of them.
0: Well, yeah, that's a really cool player perspective as to how March Madness is, especially for you, you know, up and down games. You know, you even guys even got a victory, which is super cool to hear about. You know, I don't think we've talked to a guy with a March Madness victory yet, so that's that's very cool to hear about. But, Ethan, you got another question?
1: Yeah, kind of just going into your life off the court. I know you have an, you have an NFT launch in a little bit. You're running a couple companies. What's it like being a basketball player on the court and then a business professional off the court?
2: Um, I've been huge in off-the-court endeavors, um, especially um, after my first season – or, sorry, my first uh, major injury in the G League, my second year, um, second season. I mean, even before that, I went to Germany my first year um, and suffered an injury, a knee injury had to come back and then I ended up coming back later on in the um, G League season that year playing for the Canton charge who went to the playoffs and I played behind Quinn Cook um and even in all all those moments I always told myself like when this basketball stops you know what is it that I'm going to want to do and I've always had a entrepreneurial mindset um and I always wanted to do something and be my own boss so in and. Uh, what was it? It was my yeah my second year in the G League. I broke my ankle, um, probably having one of the best seasons of my career. I was playing really, really well. Um, limited minutes, um, but really putting up some good numbers. And um, uh, I think it was. Oh, yeah. I had my career high with about five minutes left in the game. I broke my ankle um, after like a huge comeback from a team. And when, I, when that happened, um, I immediate, immediately went into uh, businessman mode. So I started a concierge service that spring um, in Miami with spring break, you know, being uh, pretty crazy down there. I started a concierge service and was setting up um, uh, party buses and uh, club uh, parties and just all this other stuff. And then I had a lot of friends who were also in the NBA who would always come to Miami and they would always want to experience certain things. So they would be like, J.O., like, what are we doing? What are we doing? I'm coming to the city. So I figured I was like, you know what? I might as well create a concierge service to, um, um, to balance that out, to equate that out, you know, especially with the G League being about five seasons, roughly. I mean, five months, roughly. And back then, the G League had the ABC contracts. So, you know, guys were making as little as, I think, $16,000 a season. Wow. Um, yeah, it was it was it was pretty rough. I think I had I had a I had a B contract and I was making twenty my first year. It was my first year. The second year is when I think it jumped to twenty five and everybody was getting twenty five thousand. And then this, and then my, and then the third year, it was um uh it got bumped up to I think thirty five for everybody or thirty two. I can't I can't remember exactly the numbers. Wow. But but yeah it's kind of, it's it's you know you think about it it's kind of tough you know with especially guys you know seeing what they're sacrificing to be in the G League um especially when you can make you know a lot of money overseas you know a lot of guys get a lot of opportunities to make money overseas um I'm making like five times what I <laughs> what I made uh my first year in the G League um here in Japan and it's just like you know And, J- um, and
1: Japan's a cheaper cost to live in than in Chicago
2: uh yeah just depending on where in japan you are because you know being oh, true. close to tokyo and japan's not that cheap of a, like usually sometimes people are like oh yo, yo asia and then you think that things are cheaper but i feel like i'm living in america when i'm in japan <laughs> because there's is there's, there's, there's not many sales going on <laughs> out here so um but it, with, with with that being said um I always had this mindset where I wanted to do stuff outside of, outside of hoops. Um, the G League had a, a life after basketball program, which I was a part of every single summer where I would go and do internships. I've done internships with Douglas Elliman um, at their multiple locations, their New York location, Miami location, the LA location. Um, um, just jumping into a lot of different internship opportunities with the uh, life after basketball crew, um, with the NBA. Um, doing that and also starting multiple businesses. I have a meal prep company in Orlando, um, that I'm looking to expand once I, um, once I, once I, once basketball slows down for me, I'll look to expand that. I want to be the next, the next freshly, so to say, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with freshly, but, um, their story is pretty cool. How Nestle bought a, bought a portion of the company for like a hundred million dollars or something like that. Um, and I think I have like a, a recipe that can um, essentially get get me to that. But um, outside of those two things, the concierge service, um, which slowed down because of uh, um, the pandemic and what was going on, you know, with shutdowns and everything, you know, me and my business partner, we decided to just kind of kill that for now and just work on other things. My business partner is another uh, Purdue Boilermaker, who is also an engineer um, who grew up in Miami as well. Um and he's doing a lot of big things for himself. So we decided to, you know, kinda of cut that off. But that was a great experience for me, um, learning how to operate a business, run a business. Um, but now I have a end to end NFT creation company. Um, um, and it's more than enterprises. Um and we do NFT creations from coding to graphic designing, web development, the art. Um, I mean we, we literally do everything. Everything Involving the decentral, decentralized finance realm, uh, crypto, we have a hand in it um, and I'm launching an NFT project called Apex Ninja Guru, um, which is uh, giving away like $250,000 throughout our sale um, to our community members and those who own Apex Ninja Guru. We're launching um, in early February. Um, we're going to start our heavy marketing campaign um, on the 1st of this year, 2022. Um, it's been it's been a fun experience learning about NFTs, um, seeing how much money can be made in the NFT space, um, the crypto space as well. I you know I, to be completely honest, I've made um, more money in the last six months um, because of decentralized finance than um, I'm going to potentially make in, you know, for my season in Japan. So my thing is um, I'm very huge on trying to encourage, you know, not only my friends who play sports, but all athletes to do something outside of their sport that they're playing because we're not going to be able to play it forever. You know, You know, I guess some guys play golf for a very, very long time. Um, uh, it's less taxing on your body and stuff like that. But, um, and, and your baseball players can play for a long time as well. Um, but majority of the time, the lifespan of your, your, most athletes is very short. Um, you know, your NFL guys, your NBA guys. Um, so I'm really huge on trying to make sure that I encourage, you know, my fellow athletes to do things outside of their sport, especially when, when you're, when you're overseas, um, there's a lot of time. I feel like throughout the day, throughout your weeks that you can, you know, essentially learn about something that interests you. So when the ball does stop bouncing or, I don't like to use the ball all the time when I'm speaking about athletes, but when the sport does come to a close, you have something that that you can do. You know, sometimes I see a lot of guys, you know, whether their careers ended short um, or whether they decide, you know, that, you know, whatever sport it is that they're playing is just not for them anymore. You know, they kind of sit in limbo for a little bit before they figure out what it is that they want to do. So, you know, my big thing is encouraging people to figure out what they want to do, you know, throughout the process. That way, when that time comes, you know, it's not as nerve-wracking, you know, it's not as depressing, it's not as, um, it's not as much pressure being put on you to figure out what you're going to do to feed yourself. Um, so, yeah, I'm huge on that. You know, right now with my NFT project, I'm extremely bullish on NFTs and the space, and um, I'm also part of a company that's launching our own Metaverse platform. Um, you know, I know you guys probably heard Facebook changing their name to Meta, and, right. you know, seeing seeing Web3, <laughs> Um, you know, go into what is becoming, you know, so I'm huge on on that side of things and I'm excited to see what the future brings.
0: Well, that's honestly a way cooler answer than we could have asked for. You seem to dabble in basically everything in terms of the internet, food. That's that's really cool. And hopefully we can try that recipe you've been hyping up. Uh, that seems really, really good. And we hope to be a part of that before it really blows up but unfortunately that's all the time we have thank you for such a great interview jonathan uh everyone make sure you check out his nft space his recipe that he's releasing and anything else that he's working on because it seems like he's got big things going if you'd like to shout anything out now's your time to do it and after that we're gonna wrap up the
2: interview well i want to say thank you guys so much for having me on i really really appreciate it um You know, you guys are doing a great thing out here. And if you guys need anything as far as, you know, bringing people on or any questions or asking if I know anybody, just let me know. I'll uh, see what I can do for you guys. Um, Also, everybody that's listening, if you can, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at more than a Hooper. And then from there, you'll be able to find out information about my NFT collection, um, Apex Ninja Guru. You could type that in on Twitter and Instagram as well and join the link in the discord um like i said two hundred fifty thousand dollars will be given away over the course of our sale um and why not you you know why not grab a piece of that so again guys thank you for having me on um best wishes again if you need anything just let me know
0: and thank you so much jonathan and we'll be sure to talk to you later yes thank you so much
1: all right see y'all later